Well, Talking Church, I am here What's at General up? Council with Pastor Mike Burnett. It's amazing to have you here. Hey, man. Come on. I just love you and your family and so thankful. Thanks yeah. for asking me to do this. So you're in Clarksville, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yep. Which is how far? It's like an hour outside of Nashville, you said? Uh, we're 45 minutes okay. from Nashville on the Kentucky border. Okay. Uh, if you're older than 40, you know the song by the Monkees, The Last Train to Clarksville. Never heard it. It was a war protest song. Hmm. Ironically, the Monkees were a satire Beatles knockoff anyway. You don't want to talk about that. But <laughs> that's what most people older than me know of, yeah. the, of Clarksville. I've never heard that. It's like people, when they meet me, <laughs> depending on how old they are, yeah. they will share whatever movie makes sense. So if they're older than like 50 or 45, they'll be like, oh, Logan's Run. And I'm like, the only reason I've seen it is because it's my, like, I've not seen yeah. the movie, but I saw a, like 10 minute clip of it. And then if they're in the middle, they'll be like, oh, Wolverine. That's right. And then young kids will be like, Logan Paul. And so there's, it's generational yeah. is that connection. So. I get that too with the name Mike, you know, yeah. Mike Tyson or Mike. I mean, you know, None the resemblance it's and all the, that. Yeah, it's the muscles. So you've been a pastor for how many years there at, at LifePoint, right? Yeah, LifePoint yeah. Church, uh, 13 years. Wow. Yeah. You planted it? Revitalization. Revitalization. Okay. I'm not a start from scratch guy. Yeah, me neither. I honor anyone who can do that. I think yeah. it's brilliant, amazing. I love the idea of rehabbing something, mm -hmm. so fixing broken things. And so I took over a church that was five-year-old church plant. We had a guy who planted. Um, he was a traveling evangelist, came off the road and planted a church from nothing. And I'm so thankful yeah. that he did that. Uh, five years later, I became the pastor. There was a transition, and uh, by the time I got there, church had dwindled down quite a bit. 52 voting members elected me to sure. be pastor. Two of them said no. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know who they are. Um, but anyway, 50 people voted me in as pastor with $2.5 million in debt. Ooh. Brand new building, which was great. Yeah. Uh, but $2.5 million in debt. So that was awesome. My launch team was 50 upset people <laughs> and uh, no money. It's great. But at that point, obviously, you're, you're kind of like, all right, there's 50 people here. It can only but, go up. Yeah, it can only go up. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it could go down. It's like, it could go to zero. So the reality but. was we had no money. And uh, like my first month as pastor, we were 15,000 behind to just On make- bills and everything. Every, yeah. Including my salary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway- So you started with a negative salary. Yeah, I took the job <laughs> and I signed on. Like I, I agreed. I said, yeah, I'll take this job. Uh, I was 30. My wife and I had two little kids and I was really excited to just lead my own church. You know, God's church that he gave me as lead pastor. So anyway, uh, I, I didn't get into it for money. I'm still not in it for money. So when they said, hey, we're going to pay you, they gave me a, you know, kind of the slide, the paper across the desk kind of right. move. Here's what we're going to pay you. I said, you guys will never pay me this because you're, you're so far behind financially. They go, well, here's what we want to pay you. Right. So I said, I'm not in it for money. I just took the job. But uh, we, had, we had some miracles along the way. And the first one was after I had accepted the job a week later, the neighbor, so the church had 28 acres of an old farm they bought and uh, built a building on it. Honestly, they, uh, it was a 10,000 square feet building in the middle of a farm that was totally overgrown, like two and a half feet tall weeds everywhere. We couldn't afford to mow the grass. But we had 28 acres and the neighbor called asking, can we buy, can we buy four acres of your property and we'll pay you cash for it, full market value. So I get a call a week after I had accepted the job. I had gone back to Missouri to pack up my house and move. And they called and said, hey, uh, our neighbors want to buy some of this property. They've offered cash, can close in 10 days. And they said this, they, the, the guy was like, as soon as you get here, we'll call a business meeting and we'll have a church-wide vote. And I said, that's a dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> Just sell it <laughs> Just before I come it. because you guys can't even afford to pay my salary. So right. this is great. I'd love to have a paycheck. So anyway, that was the Lord's provision. That's awesome. Uh, they were able to, and th so they, they were able to commit to paying me for one year. And then they said, if, 
if you can't earn your money back after a year, you know, get the money back into a healthy position, then I'd have to find a job. Right. But really, we were like four months from foreclosing on the property wow. the whole first year I was there. Wow. Which was an adventure. You know, yeah. it's, it, we grew every single month. Uh, we've grown for every year that we've been there, but we grew every single month. We went to two services in six months, relaunched, renamed the church, and kind of relaunched our core DNA of who we were and everything. Uh, so now we're, uh, 10 months later, we're twice as big, like actually like 220 people, two services, uh, which by the way, there were two thin services, but I just wanted to get people into, like you can serve one and yeah, sit one yeah. as fast as possible. So anyway, um, and then more m- miraculous things where God used to kind of bump our finances up. But that's, awesome. it, that's a stressful adventure. Yeah, yeah. We're going to grow a church with less than no money. <laughs> and literally, I, like I had a meeting with the president of the bank that held the note. And I had to ask him, so what does it do to my personal credit to foreclose inevitably on this property? Right. <laughs> and he kept telling, he'd say, well, you know, it, it, I don't think it'll hurt you personally, but you know, it might, you are the president and your name's on the document. So. Right. You're like, probably. <laughs> Stress. Yeah. No, it's huge. I mean, it's a lot of similarities to my parents early on, yeah. 28 years ago. And I, I think the, the point, and obviously there's things like CMN and ARC and great organizations that are raising money to yep. support church planners. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think the, the truth of it is that that's not the silver bullet, right? Money? It's not, yeah. No way. It's not the silver bullet. And you can, I mean, there's been churches that have launched with a million dollars right away and, and they're, they, closed. they're closed, yep. you know? And then there's been other churches that are negative mm-hmm. that are open and thriving. And, yeah. you know, I know, I don't know what year it was, but, you know, numbers like this are, are not always the most helpful, but it's like, hey, fastest growing church in America and mm-hmm. all these things. And you're starting to see, again, taking this church from 50 people and growing it yeah. to now reaching, I mean, way more than maybe you even would have imagined. For sure. But t- I mean, what I, what I want to talk about, we were talking about this yesterday, is sometimes you get into this level of you have enough where you don't want to lose it now. Yeah. And so you start making decisions. Back when you were 50 people, you're like, again, sell the land. What do we, like, we yeah. got nothing. Yeah, we can't even mow it. Totally. So sell it. Totally. They'll mow it, yeah. sell it. <laughs> it's actually saving money. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, but again, you make different decisions because yeah. you just want to grow. For and sure. you just want people to come. You're like, I don't care. And again, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just clarifying like the position. But when you're early on, it's like, I don't really care if you're saved. I, don't, I just want breathing bodies in the place. And again, I'm not making that advocating for it. Yeah. But I think there is a reality to you just want people. You want you want experience. You want culture. You want life and yeah, kids. I want sure. yeah. Bring your kids. Like bring I, bring your dysfunction. Bring your crazy. Because yeah. I just want people here. Yeah. But then when you get large or large enough, and again maybe large enough is a hundred for someone. Maybe yeah. it's five hundred. Maybe it's a thousand. Whatever it is, you start making decisions. And it comes from a book. And we were talking about it. But you want maybe talk about this idea, and we can go back and forth a little bit. I'll give a little backstory yeah. for some uh, qualifications of what you're even yeah. intimating here. For, so. You're right. I mean, when, when we started, it was, I opened the building, I turned on all the lights and I set the, the th- thermostats. I mean, I did everything. Uh, I, I literally led worship for the first year. And then I raised up a singer to help me. Uh, my background's music. Okay. So, so I, I was very comfortable yeah. leading worship. My wife's a pianist. And so we, we've done worship together forever. Yeah. So, so I led magic. worship and I had this late, uh, young lady who was singing with me. So I was the lead vocalist and she'd sing back up. And then the fourth song she would sing and I'd take my guitar off. And go stand on the front row, lift my hands and worship. Be like, man, the wasn't the worship great today, everybody? <laughs> then I'd walk up on stage and be the pastor. And yeah, you're just looking for people to help you build something and grow and, and reach folks. And I remember my first youth pastor, uh, my interview at the district recommended him. So I, I didn't have any time to interview this guy. This is terrible, but it was just true. And I, I remember talking to him. I was like, your credential, you, you went to Bible college. It's like, do you like kids? Do you like students? 
And I literally was like, I, mean, I think we had a 30-minute interview, and I said, look, dude, just don't break it. <laughs> That's your job. And he looked at me, what? Tony Steffko, I'll never forget Tony. He's like, what? I said, just don't mess it up. Don't yeah. hurt me and don't hurt this church. Can you, understand? Can you do that? And he was your great. first hire? Yeah. yeah. I paid him $50 a week. I, uh, I had a worship guy. I gave him a, car, a gift card with gas money every week. Uh, we just had nothing. We yeah. had no way to hire anybody. Anyway, so, yeah, from those early days, you know, we've grown every year, and we went from, you know, 50 to 250 in a year, and then 345 or 360 or something like that, and then we went to 1,000 from 350 to 1,000 in 15 months. And it's from some of the resources that I've learned from you guys and from uh, the Grow Network with yeah. kind of the f real simple strategic structuring. Yeah. Like, I, I understand culture. I just didn't understand systems. Sure. Which, honestly, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah. But like, a lot of churches have great culture. Their systems are terrible. Or some churches have ridiculous systems. Like, they got everything fine-tuned, but it's just a drag to go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So you true. really have to marry the two together. And we obsess at our church about the culture of the church. How does it feel to be there? And then the systems that move people through it. So anyway, we then we've grown, like, consistently ever since. In 2018, we're named Fast Growing Church in America. And uh, honestly, that... That did some things to me that aren't that I needed to be exposed. I don't even report our attendance. I don't know our attendance anymore, actually. I haven't since um, really COVID. I just quit asking. I told I told our team, I was like, I'm only responsible for whoever shows up. Do, you tr um, do they track it? Or, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're they, just saying for me, I don't care. Personally, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, when, when I was 30, I took over a church nobody wanted. And I remember uh, going to meetings for ministers, and, and I had one guy tell me once, he's like, now, where are you again? I said, I'm, I'm in Clarksville. I'm at the church this church that was there and they're like oh man good luck up there better you than me and yeah guys would just kind of dismiss it in our denominational meetings and stuff and and they were being kind and you know that kind of banter that we do and then we broke a thousand and, the, and then i got like accused of watering down the gospel and not being yeah right theologically conservative enough you know so it was just crazy but anyway um you know i took a church nobody wanted and was really hard and cost me everything and took it for no money and then it was a fast-growing church in america and and then from there, you know, you go from number one to down. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the next year we were down, uh, still in the top 100 or whatever, but I just remember going, this is awakening some unhealthy affirmation stuff in me. And right. that's not my goalpost. Like, it was yeah. never my, I didn't take it with that goalpost in mind. Like, right. attendance was a thing. I didn't care about that. And then all of a sudden it became a thing. So anyway, I had to make some shifts in my own heart. And um, so, yeah, as the organization has changed, uh, and this will help set up kind of what we were going to talk about with yeah. this book I've been, I just finished, and it's just changed my life with how I think about the organization. Um, the scariest thing ever happened to me, my pastor, a friend of ours, Pastor Chris Hodges, uh, really got in my heart about um, my own personal self-care, like sabbatical rest. Yeah. And, and it was because, and this sets up what we're talking about, what you want to talk about. Um, all of a sudden, we're we're this large church, multiple thousands, multiple venues. We were running like 10 services a weekend between, we had a location in Washington and Phoenix and Middle Tennessee and then three locations in town. And I was in, uh, I had to confess to my pastor, not an area of sin. I was like, I can't even remember what it was. Like I had some temptation. It was kind of benign, like it, things that we're normally tempted with. I was in my office and I had this passing thought of some temptation. And then I went to this obsession to hide it. What would I do to cover it up? Like if I did, I don't even remember what the thing was. Sure, Let's just yeah. say it was, I don't know, stealing money or yeah, you right. know, kissing a woman or I don't know. Yeah. Whatever the thought I had was, which everybody has their temptations sure. or whatever, and you got to take that thought captive, et cetera. 
I went into like this 30 minute plan to not only do the thing, but cover it up. Mm. And here's why, because I wanted to protect the church and I wanted to protect my family. It was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. Honest to God in ministry, like I, I have this, uh, this is probably real personal here. Maybe people listening may judge yeah, me for this, no. but I have, I mean, I'm like any other dude, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church. I got, I'm a man. I got, you know, whatever issues of insecurity and temptation like anybody else, but in an effort to protect the church that I built, mm. that God built, I went into this plot, this temptation to cover up this area of sin. It was something so stupid. I mean, I had this whole plan. And I just, it was like the Lord snapped me out of it. And I called my pastor and I was like, hey man, uh, I don't know what to do with this, but I just had like this whole cover up strategy plan. <laughs> for something I didn't do. Yeah. For something I haven't even done yet. And I started like, I mean, I was really pouring it out to him. And he starts challenging me on areas of like, you know, rest and accountability and who has all my secrets and who can, who can I really confide in and all that kind of stuff. But this desire to protect the church used to be, I mean, that's why I went there. Right. to build this church, to lead this church, because I, I love the people that hadn't even come yet. And then it shifted to this protect it from falling apart again, or my reputation being sacrificed, or my family being hurt. And it was just really, it was a strange thing. But that's what, that's what organizations do. Yeah. That's what large organizations do. That's what companies do. That's what nations do. Right. So I, I've just come through this book. I, I highly recommend it. It's from the 80s, yeah. or early 90s. It's a book called Barbarians to Bureaucrats. Yeah. And it's a study of the life cycles of organizations and of nations. It's not a faith-based book at all. Yeah. But we have books like um, Macintosh wrote a book on the life cycles of a church and um, that phrase, what got you here, what bring you here. And like you guys at River Valley have done such a great job of reinventing yourself. You know, I think about your dad. I think about like Pastor John Lindell. If you look at the, the evolution of those men yeah. as leaders, even in like what they wore. Totally. Oh yeah. You know, like yeah. their outfits, how they've just kind of stayed current and they've trended and they've, they've allowed themselves to evolve and grow. But organizations have a tendency, uh, like, like a lot of organizational books talk a lot about what the organization is like at the different stages of the life cycle. So if you look at uh, like a bell curve of birth, life, death, right? Um, a lot of teachings on this stuff will talk about what the organization was like at the various, well, this book, Barbarians to Bureaucrats, talks about the leader, yep. the CEO, the pastor, the president, the whoever's at the top of the company or the organization. And like when it's in the birth and like, let's just do something stages, it's led by a prophet who sees nothing but has a vision for something and says like, hey, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna move to Minnesota and I'm gonna plant a church. Right. Like your dad yeah. has talked to me about the early days of that church and no one believed in him. Yeah, you got nothing. And nobody yeah. would help him. And it was like 10 years before, and he's still just dreaming and going, it's gonna do something, yeah. it's gonna pop off. And a prophet sees what no one sees and says it, and nobody believes him. And he's like, man, I'll risk it all. Mm -hmm. And then it shifts as, as it begins to take shape it, that leader has to shift to like a barbarian where I'll chop down the trees, I'll take some ground, I'll sacrifice, you know, whatever it takes to make something sustainable and livable. And then it, then it goes to like this builder, explorer phase. So the, the, the left side of the bell curve, you know, it's like birth to like adolescence to now we're going to start living and we're going to like enjoy the fat of our, of our building and whatever. It goes to like a builder explorer 
So that's where you guys are at. That's where we're at as a church. It's like, okay, we've survived. We're not scared about money anymore. We're, we've got a good reputation. Let's expand. Let's add campuses. Let's grow our influence. Let's do a network. Let's like see what we can do. We're building, exploring. That was America after the Civil War. I mean, that was our country, man. We were just... And then after World War I and II, when every civilized country in the world was destroyed, yeah. America goes, we'll do all industry. We'll be the revolutionary builders of everything. Right. Builder, explore phase. That's kind of the, the 70% under the bell curve, over the top. It's the yeah. balloon of life. It's, it's your 20s to s- late 60s, right? It's like, I'm building life, man. I'm buying a boat. I'm getting a lake house. I'm just building life. Yeah. Raising kids, sending them off to college. You're, you're building, exploring. So what happens is that leader could be a different person, but their, their focus definitely shifts yeah. from prophet to barbarian to builder, explorer. Well, then what happens is as the, as the bell curve naturally, and churches have a 40-year, historically, statistically, churches have a 40-year life cycle from birth to death or the beginning of decline. Sure. That, those are daunting stats, but it's true. Like yeah. We have to be every 20 years re- reinventing Right. Figuring out how to start a new bell curve, right? So as the organization begins to decline, and it could be a generation died off, the pastor moves on, you know, the, the political party shifts, right? right? Like we're experiencing that in our country. Right. And the organization begins to decline, the leadership starts looking for a leader who can be the administrator. And that's a different skill set, but it's a different mindset. So they go, like if, a, if your dad left and, and uh, the board was in charge of hiring a new pastor. And I'm sure your dad has a succession plan because he's a good leader and he's smart and he's thinking ahead. But let's just imagine for a second, your dad leaves suddenly or or whatever, and it's left in the hand of the board. We were having this conversation the other day. He goes, all right, if I die, this was last week. He goes, if I die- There's a book, by the way, I'm sure somewhere a notebook your dad has with a plan. Yeah, but he was talking through all these different things about, you know, his will and and he has a nonprofit that he leads that he's like, all right, here's how I I want you guys to know about the nonprofit. Here's what the church would do. The board knows that this is the decision that needs to be made now. This is the one that could be made later. And at the end of it, we said, so the easiest solution is the longer you live, the better this is going to get, you know? So anyways, I just interrupt for- just, it was last week. Hey, we I am curious. Is my name in that book yeah. at all? In the plan? I just, there's just a thing. Yeah, there's I think you, I think that he said that call Mike and he'll send some money. I think, I think that's what it was. Yeah. I'll come and be yeah. your, uh, your consoler. Yeah, perfect. So typically what happens though, and by the way, it's a healthy thing to have a succession plan. Yeah. Even when you're in the building growing stage, cause you could get hit by a tree, you know, like yeah. you could die <laughs> suddenly. I, like I took vacation this month, this summer. And I told my board, if I get hit by a boat, you know, or whatever the right. case, I took a cruise. So I said, if a cruise boat hits me, um, here's who I yeah. s- recommend take my place. I told him that. I mean, yeah. I think it's always a good idea to have a backup <laughs> plan. And part of that's our responsibility to grow and develop leaders. But right. anyway, typically in an organization, they don't have a plan or that term is over. So we go elect a new thing, a new sure. person. So what happens is the organization goes, we need to find somebody who can manage all that the prophet barbarian builder built. So, you know, the prophet has nothing. The barbarian's got like his wife and children doing everything. And an ax. Yeah, and the builder (laughs) explorer's going, let's look at a pastor. We've got a team, we've got a staff, we've got interns now, we've got a healthy board, we've got good financial positions. Well, it didn't start that way. We were 52 people with no money and trying to sell off land to pay the pastor's yeah, salary. Yeah. Now all of a sudden we're giving away money. We've got stuff. Yeah. So the, the leadership would go, we need to find an, someone who can administrate this thing. Right. Who can handle that size budget, that size team. 
They're not looking for another prophet because the prophet's dead and is already built. They're not looking for another builder. And man, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. And I'm afraid a lot of organizations don't even realize they, they, they try to do that in an effort. Here's going back to what I was saying earlier about my temptation scare. Right. They do it in an effort to protect right. the organization instead of building the organization for the next generation. Right, right. Like in the church world, you go, we want somebody that can pastor all these people. Well, they're going to heaven. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. Like, you need to pay, pay attention to that. But you need a pastor who can reach people that haven't come yet. Right. And that still has a vision, a prophetic vision, a barbaric vision to reach the lost. But right. churches, statistically, after the founder, the builder, the, the legacy pastor, they go, we need somebody who can run a church this size. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. And, and the book would say that's a bureaucrat, right? That's the administrator. Okay, so the then administrator's next, then a yeah, bureaucrat's so kind of the, the bottom. No, so the bell curve continues down to administrator, and then bureaucrat is the next type of leader, okay. which if, if a visionary gets hired in that administrative role, it kills them. Sure. They're like, what do you mean I can't? Yeah. What do you mean I can't change the carpet? Right. And they're like, well, the last guy put the carpet in, you know, and his mom was in the choir, and right. she did the banners on the wall. You know, it's... <laughs> So the administrator either loves it and is like, I'm going to do this till I die, or they leave because they're visionaries, right? Yeah. Well, then it shifts again as they're in decline and they're starting to feel the, the pressure of decline, like where our money's down, we're not growing anymore, our people are leaving, or they're moving to the suburban church instead right. of the urban church that we used to be, like the big first assembly, yep, whatever. Yep. Then they bring in a bureaucratic leader who starts playing the politics. Yeah. And the bureaucratic leader is the one who says, man... I've earned my position here. I've paid my dues. And you start looking at the team as you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's the ultimate right. look of bureaucracy. And you position the organization as a tool of bureaucracy. So then you become the hosting organization or the you become known as the place who can do for others, but then ultimately it's, it's to do back for you right, or for right. the leader. And then once, once that type of leader leaves and as it's dying, 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 it's led by aristocrats who right. they're just in it for themselves. Yeah. It's, like, it's like my retirement gig. I'm going to do this till I die. And the prophet, barbarian builder, administrator, they all built something that has a purse and a nest egg and a, a, you know, an account that keeps yeah, me yeah. here. So what's interesting is both extremes, prophets and or aristocrats, are commanders. They're like my way or the highway. Sure. In the middle, when it's all healthy, it's like collaborative leadership and organizations do work together. Um, on, on the one side, I, I described this to you the other day, on the one side of the organizational chart, if it's like in, in building and growing stage, the leader says, I will sacrifice anything to build something great for others. On the other side of the org chart, on the bell curve, those type of leaders say, I'll sacrifice anyone to take care of myself. Ah, uh, sure and to build my life. Yeah, so it's almost like, I mean, you see personality traits and stuff, and there's the healthy version and the unhealthy version, yeah. right? It's almost like that same curve is the healthy versus the unhealthy. <laughs> yep. And what's interesting is, you know, you mentioned that sometimes churches hire that person, but the other risk is that that person becomes that person, right? Absolutely. And so that it's actually not just, Absolutely. oh, well, like, no, you were a prophet, and then you were a barbarian, right. and you were a builder. And those things are absolutely true. Yeah. But over time, the more comfortable you get, the more money you get, the more accolades you get, the more comfort, all that stuff. The bigger your church gets, yeah. the more you—here it is, the more you have to lose. Right, exactly. Go back to my story of, yeah. I'm trying to cover up yeah. that sin because of all I have to lose. Yeah. Same guy. Right. And I had a shift in my mind in an effort to protect this thing I built. Yeah. That was my attitude. Yeah. No, it's true. And, I mean— 
That's King a, David, right? He yeah. Was, he was a great kid when he was in a field yeah. killing bears and Goliath. But look at him with Bathsheba. Yeah. Same dude shifted to his kingdom and he had to be really broken. Well, and, and look at scenario. even at the end of his life where, you know, he's, he's crying for Absalom and his, his I don't know if it was who, who it was, I'm forgetting who it was, who came up to him and said, you got to stop crying for Absalom because he's against you. He's right. your enemy. Yeah. But you have men that are willing to fight for you. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people that hold on to what, what was. Yeah. And it's like, you got people in your church right, right now that are here today yeah. and they're ready to reach their neighbor and they're ready to do things if you lead them. Right. And again, I'm not, this isn't to be critical to pastors or denominations sure. or anything, but I do think it's to be aware for us that, I mean, honestly, we're having this conversation at River Valley. Um, what, what's ironic about all that is if you're watching a video right behind us, you see our theme for our year is take ground, Let's right? Go. And so the barbarian, my dad's not lost that nature in him, yeah, good. but I think what we've realized is it's very difficult. I and mean, we have 150, a little over 150 staff members on, on our team and, you know, 100 interns and all these you know, mm -hmm. people in different roles that are serving in the church, deacons, I think over 250 or 300 deacons. So we have a lot of leaders. So in you our guys church. go like Bible direction when it comes to deacons too, because yep. yep. they're servants and they're yep. empowered to serve, which is brilliant. A lot of churches don't do that. Yeah. Anymore. So we have an elder board, we have a deacon board, yeah, that's great. and then we have, you know, staff and then interns. But for us, we're seeing that it's not, my dad has not lost the barbarian attitude. That's great. But the bigger that you get, the harder it is because now you have people that are reputation protecting, right? I, I'll give an example and, and I'm, I don't mean to pick on anyone from the team. I won't say who they are, but <laughs> I'll say it. Um, I, we, one of the Talking Church episodes I did uh, with Dave Ramsey. And so I was cutting up some clips from the Dave Ramsey episode. And one of the thumbnails I made, it's, it Dave said this, but the thumbnail said I was a hell drinking, or I was a hell raising beer drinking kid. And that was the thumbnail. Cause I was like, that's gonna get clicks, right? And then he's gonna share his testimony. Yeah. And I got a message and, and from a couple people and they're like, hey, I, I don't know if that's the best uh, like thumbnail that we should use, but I got like 10,000 views yeah. on that clip. And I'm like, that's that barbarian attitude. Now, again, yeah. I'm not saying I'm right, yeah. they're wrong. I'm gonna chop a force down, yeah, man. Yeah, but, but it's like- We get splinters, I'm gonna bleed. Maybe we shouldn't do that to protect the image. And again, right. I'm not saying one is right or wrong. Sometimes you need to protect the image. If you're too barbarian with too much to lose, you're not a builder per se. But if you go yeah. the if you go too far down that road, and again, we're at general council, if you hear some cymbals crashing or whatever. But I think it's prayer time. Yeah. <laughs> at your church, maybe yeah. not my church. But can you talk about that a little bit yeah, where you so, see that people are, are trying to balance that? Yeah. Well, let me just say this. Administrators, aristocrats, and bureaucrats hate barbarians. They hate them. Now think about it. Like you, when when River Valley wasn't the first church in Minneapolis, yeah, yeah. in Apple Valley, LifePoint wasn't the first church in Clarksville. Totally. And as we're taking ground, and as we're doing stuff, and we're doing stuff nobody else is doing, and we're not trying, like, that, here's the thing. We're not against any church ever. No. You guys have the River Valley Network. We coach and give totally. money to a ton of churches. We, we want every church to thrive. But we're doing it in ways that maybe they're not doing it, right. right? Like adding campuses, service times, we're jeans and smoke, you know, instead of choir robes and hymnals. Right, right. But organizations that are led by aristocrats and bureaucrats, they judge and they, I mean, I'll never forget, I got an email from a pastor in town. He was so mad. We did a, we did a, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm like super creative or provocative typically, right, right. but I do like to try. So like one year we did for Easter, the I was preaching through the book of John. I'm, a, I'm an expository verse by verse preacher. Um, 
and I was preaching through the book of John, and I happened to land on Easter Sunday, John 4, when the paralytic Jesus says, do you want to get up? Get on up. Right. So I titled the sermon, Get On Up, and I had James Brown as the graphic for Easter Sunday. So it's like Easter at Life Point is get on up. And the theme song when you walk out to preach was like, get up, get sure. on up. That might, do you know I, I've James heard that Brown? song. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know James Brown. Logan, I got... Logan Paul listens to him. <laughs> anyway, that's a full circle joke right there. <laughs> anyway, so um, got heat from how sacrilegious to yeah, right. put James Brown. Do you know right. his testimony and the way he lived his life? I was like, no, I didn't. They hate barbarians. Like doing yeah, something yeah. different. I'm going to cut down these trees right. to build a building, right? Uh, one year we did um, a Facebook-themed Easter Sunday, social media, like a series, and it was called Deny Your Selfie. This is back when Facebook was still right. hot and before Instagram and Twitter was really not really that yeah, big yeah. a deal yet. So the graphic was the Facebook banner, the blue. It used to just be a blue bar mm-hmm. across the top and the Facebook font, and then you'd have your profile picture. Well, the profile picture was Jesus, a cartoon of Jesus in sunglasses, holding up an iPhone, taking a picture of himself doing this. So we had this on a banner, and the sermon series was deny your selfie. Deny yourself and follow Jesus. It's like the command of God, the number one command, like leave that life and follow me. So the sermon was all about that, and it was calling people to repentance. And so we had this banner out in front of the church invite with all of our Easter service times and inviting people to come to church. And I got an email from this church just past us. And it was how offended the pastor was and how dare I and how sacrilegious I was and how dare you defame the gospel of our Lord Jesus with Facebook and social media. So I responded with, you know, in kind. And I said, hey, man, thank you for your email. Thanks for direct talking to me directly. And, you know, on Easter, we see a ton of guests and we want to reach lost people. And Facebook is very current. Totally. And he's like, I understand missions. Take the stupid sign down. <laughs> I read the tone into that. Yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my point is, bureaucrats hate barbarians. Right, right. And, and people who lead organizations in that season of the organization or with that mindset, man, they, they come, it, it's just hard to be prophetic. Think about the prophets get boiling oil all the yeah. time, you know, like it's just hard to have that kind of edge as a leader. But I'll tell you who loves those kind of leaders, lost people, the folks that haven't, had your product yet. If you're building a business and you go, I'm going to create, like, you ever heard of crumble cookie? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. It's not hard to make cookies. Like recipes are on bags of chocolate chips. Right. But they just decided to do it a different way and make them massive and expensive and niche and just cool. And they're just disrupting the dessert world. Sure, yeah. With $5 cookies. Yeah. They just go, hey, we see a place that nobody's doing something and we're going to do whatever we can to make that awesome. Right. We're going to put pink F-150s on the road and brand ourselves. And they're disrupting a whole market and industry yeah. by just taking ground. But they're growing to the point where they're starting to enjoy the fat of the land. They're, and it's very easy to switch to administration role, totally. but you've got to stay barbaric. You've got to stay prophetic. I think that churches probably over time struggle more with the the right side of the curve with the administrative, the bureaucracy, you know, especially- Well, in the, statistically, the second and third leader- Sure. Is when the organization shifts to that side. Right, right. And it's probably similar in business too. Correct. Um, you look at that though, and I mean, denominations probably struggle with that as well. And again, we're here at General Council with the Assemblies of God, but I think that sometimes I see a struggle in myself and, and I maybe will, will be hesitant. I, I feel like I'm more of a barbarian just because I've, I've observed my dad in it and I'm second generation. But again, I'm, I'm holding back at times. But the, but I think it's because it, you, you can push it too far, right? Sure. You, you talked about Facebook example and, you know, the, the James Brown. But, but there are other examples that are, are detrimental to sure. the gospel. 
And yeah. and I think that that maybe is the we're more thing. calculated with that now. Yeah, we're, I was three years in with the discerning Facebook. that right to where to where like and again, I, I, this is not a, a podcast to call out other people. That's not my intention. I, sure. I don't like doing it. But I've seen churches that, that do stuff that are using profanity and using things right. that I'm like, I I mean I I get your perspective, but I really feel like it's missing some of the gospel in the like you're throwing out some other things to include those things. You're like, well, I'm not one of those people. Or I use profanity because uh, that's just the people that I'm trying to reach. Or I, I don't care about what I dress and wear and, and cleavage <laughs> yeah. and this because yeah, right. th- that you're not my people. And I'm like, yeah, but the Bible also does talk about it. How have you, I mean, you, you know the Bible. Yeah, Jesus never became a prostitute right, right. to reach prostitutes. Yeah. He never became a Pharisee to reach Pharisees. You right. know, like he never, <laughs> I always think that's such a silly Yeah reason to compromise just holiness. I'm, I'm kind of old school in this regard. Yeah. I, you know, I got saved when I was 17. Prior to that, I, I grew up in a family with just a lot of freedom. No real boundaries. The boundaries were don't get caught. Right. Um, like from my mom. She would say, hey, you just don't drive drunk. <laughs> yeah. 15, 16 wow. years old. So wow. like no boundaries, right? Yeah, so yeah. like the idea of trying to hide all the and, and just trying to be relevant to culture. I, I never remember as a kid going, I wish a pastor would come drink a beer with me. Like I sure, just never yeah. remember ever needing that. Right. So anyway, I I think it's a little silly and people say, well, Jesus hung with sinners, but he always changed them or he drank wine and okay. If Jesus is your model, like he also walked on the water and died for the sins of the world. So go do that too. Yeah. Anyway, I just, maybe that's a little snappy, but no, I don't think it's snappy. I I do think that we, we never want to give up influence. Right. So you can't be barbaric at the cost of the thing. So like a barbarian, he's going to cut down a forest, not the building he's building. Right. Right? right, or he may take some wounds. Like he, the the barbarian may take a loss. I may not take a raise for five years or take a job with no money because it costs me. But I'm not going to do anything to cost them. Right. And very often, if we're not careful, and sometimes we do it in a way to reinvent the organization, we go, let's just be trendy or cutting or whatever. But then you end up costing the very people. I think uh, I heard a pastor say recently, like you you don't get the privilege to ruin someone else's church that they've been in for 25 years because mm. you're the new guy and you got yeah. a new idea yeah. and you want to be trendy. Right. So, okay, this is the other person in an organization. So if you go back to the graphic of the org chart, the the left side is the, the starter, builder, grower guy, leaders, person, female, whatever. And, and then once it hits the other side of the bell curve, like statistically in the church world, I'll just say this in the church world because that's what we're talking church here. Yeah. Statistically, once a church gets on the right side of that bell curve and kind of halfway down, it never comes back. Sure. Never. That's why church revitalization is so hard. Church planning organizations say it's easier to start something from scratch than to raise something from the dead. Yeah. But what the author, I think it's Larry Miller's his name, he he presents this additional leader. So if you look at, if this this is my bell curve, this is my whiteboard right here. Yeah. So prophet, barbarian, builder, top of the curve. If you're going to have a new bell curve, you need the, the type of leader required is called a synergist. This is why fathers handing the churches to their sons sure. works. Because a synergist leader has prophetic and barbaric tendencies like their predecessor, like their founder who they know and love and respect or have followed or they, they know that type of leader and have that in them. But they respect and they understand the history values and the culture of the right. thing they're trying to lead. And they can speak into the hearts of the barbarians or the aristocrats in the organization and lead and love them with barbaric prophetic edge. So for example, you know, your, 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 your church is 28 years 28, old. Yeah. 
well, there's some folks that have been there since before you were born. Yeah. And they can, it, let's say you became the pastor at 35 or whatever, and they'll go, son, I was here before you were ever here. I changed your diaper. Right. Those are barbarians and aristocrats trying to lead the leader, right? And they're just leveraging the fact that they've been in the organization. By the way, people throughout the organization shift in their mindset too. Right, right. It's the pastor who's taken a traditional church with Sunday school members, and the pastor's going, I, want to I just want to go to small groups. I want to kill Sunday school and go to small groups. Yeah. Yeah, that's barbarian for the sake of just destruction. Right, right. You can't kill the people. You got you to care for the people. So the synergist goes, okay, how do, I, how do I love and lead with vision and value what they've built right. and have known, but also take new ground yeah. and also cut some new forests down and do something? And that's the synergist leader. And the, the book gives a whole chapter on what that leader looks like and why it's such a rare leadership type. Yeah, that's It's so rare to be able to lead prophetically, barbarically, while loving grandmas and grandpas. Who, right. That's why a lot of young pastors who take classic churches, they either get suffocated and they just acquiesce. Yeah, they're there and they, for two years and they're gone, yeah. Or they lose vision. Yeah, they go, that's true. They'll say things like this, and I've heard it. It's just different here. I've heard that so many times, yeah. It won't work here. Yeah, until another pastor comes in and is seeing big growth, you know, and then it's like, well, they're watering down the gospel or they're doing this. Totally. And, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm such a fan of the church that I never For sure. like to be, like, I, I hate if anyone would think that I'm critical. Like, I've literally I've been in the church my entire life. My job is to serve other churches. Like, that's literally what I do. But I think if we can't acknowledge the truth about, again, this, and again, this is not just church, this is culture. So yeah. it's, it's not even a, a pointing a finger at the church. It's just a reality. So I, thanks for pointing this out. And even this book, again, 80s, 90s, uh, Barbarians and Bureaucrats. I love that we talked it's about super this. Good. But you've, you've I lived I feel like an it. evangelist yeah, for but, this book. No, but it's, I heard it the other day too, and, and you've lived it. And I just think that the going back to the barbarian and, and the synergistic person, what jumped into my mind when you said that was how do I know if I'm being too provocative or how do I know yeah. if I'm being too far? What jumped into my mind was, can I bring the people, and you kind of alluded to this, but can I bring the people that I'm leading with me? Yeah. Can the explanation sitting down, like for example, and I'll just use this, um, if you change your stance on marriage mm -hmm. or if you change your stance on abortion or a hot topic today, the people that are a part of your church you can't like convince them to come with you. I'm sure some would be like, well, sure. pastor knows best, but the people who you've been teaching for the last 20 years, they're going, you've taught me like the counterpoint to this. Yeah. I can't come with you. But if it's a, a culture, like, hey, we're doing, we're going to do some fog because it kind of, it allows the lights to be seen and, you know, kind of is a cool artistic way to just approach worship. And, you know, we, we're going to get rid of the robes and we're actually going to change the pews for the seats. And, you can bring people along with you because you're not changing your theology, you're yeah. changing your style. Yeah. And I was talking uh, to a friend the other day and he said, the attractional church is not the, it's not the end goal. Like it shouldn't be, we shouldn't be attractional, we should be missional, we should be yeah. sending. But an attractional church is better than a dead church. Yeah. And so I think it's, can we combine these things yeah. of the attractional, missional, synergistic, barbaric, to say, God, what are you calling me to do so that I can minister to my community? Again, yeah. what works in Clarksville might not work in Minneapolis. It might not work in Columbus. It might not work in Singapore or, or in Japan, but the gospel does and sure. we can contextualize. So I, I love all of what we're talking about. I'm sure people are racking their brains saying, "Am I? is my church a barbarian or is it led by a barbarian? Am I a barbarian? Am I a bureaucrat? And I think it's a good yeah. uh, gauge to kind of look at yourself say where are we in that cycle every every chapter of that book asks the question am 
am I a barbarian? Am I a prophet? Am I this leader? Or it'll say, do you work for this type of leader? Sure. And how to react to them. Uh, I, I, I would say, <clears throat> like, I never get into style fights. I don't care what kind of music you have. I yeah. don't care how long your services are. If you like to preach for an hour and a half, I don't really care yeah. about style. But that's really what a lot of fights and accusations are. Right. You know, they're the Blue Jeans Church. What, what's funny, you brought up, like, the smoke and the lights. Like, historically, the church for centuries had smoke and lights sure. and colors and glass and stained glass. And um, <laughs> we're kind of reverting in the contemporary world. Like, to have churches that look like that actually looks like the medieval church. Totally, yeah. In a lot of respects, is to be able to see the light With cast the through glass. the smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, it's just funny the stuff we pick on. Yeah. But what you cannot do is try to be provocative and barbaric with our core, like you alluded to this, right. doctrines and truth and who we're trying to, what we're trying to do, our right. mission. So, so we have a, we believe the Bible is true. We believe Jesus is Lord. The only way to heaven is to be saved and born again, and you can live a spirit-led life. And we believe the Bible's true, which then like attacks a whole bunch of like doctrinal things like marriage and sex and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. So in an effort to grow the organization, you can't change your core. Right. It's like Chick-fil-A selling burgers yeah. to get more people in the door. Yeah. I'm sure if anybody could master how to make a burger awesome and give you the best drive-through experience in the world, right. it's Chick-fil-A. The problem is they don't sell beef. Yeah. So as the church, we cannot get away from our core. Like to use Get On Up as an invitation card. That's what it was. It was on the invite cards. Yeah, yeah. And James Brown's picture pointing at, you know, that's just style. That's just yeah. a provocative style thing. But dude, it was like the most Bible-centered. And the, the, the message on that Easter was, you're all actually dead and paralyzed in your sin. Right. And the only way to find hope is to get up from your sin, to get up and give your life. Dude, we had like hundreds of people saved that Easter. I'll never forget it. We were meeting in a middle school at the time, rebuilding our building. And uh, we, had, we had this one couple, they sat in the front. They were wearing like, house pants, and I think one lady had on like a shower cap. They just got rolled out of bed saying, we thought this was a James Brown tribute concert. <laughs> I said, on a Sunday morning? They go, we didn't know. We thought it was an odd time too. Yeah. So they came for a James Brown tribute event and yeah, gave right. their lives to Jesus. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like we cannot, you can't in an effort to be barbaric. Like at the end of the day, if a barbarian's chopping down wood, it's still yeah. with a vision of saying, I'm going to go build something in its place. Yeah, and you don't. So you can't destroy the ground. Right. And your intention was not to trick people into thinking no it was a James Brown concert. No. But I, I do think that, that was there's a difference, right, between all of what you're saying. I love that distinction. Is you can't let the core principles of no who way. you are. And that, that's where the things that bother me, and again, that's I'm, where Target screwed up this yeah, year. Yeah. They lost They're, their. We're in Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I brought it up. I wanted to talk to you about this. That, that's honestly the heat that Target's getting is because they lost their audience. Yeah. They lost sight. And. I can't imagine the political pressure they're under anyway to do yeah. whatever they did, but they lost sight of their core. Like, dude, look, just sell some cool T-shirts right. and, and you know, highly priced groceries. But but can I tell you this? But they lost sight of that. Here's what's crazy. I talked to someone from Target. Um, we have a ton of people on our church that work at Target. And they said, you know what's interesting? Our northern and blue state stores did not see any hit. And our red state stores were down in the red like 20, 30 percentage yeah. points, right? Yeah, nice. Which again, it, and it's not a political statement, but it's it's interesting to see that there are certain things that people tie their value to, whereas I would say in where we're at, a lot of people are like, I don't know, I've, I've known that they're like that forever, sure. you know, but but it, it, it goes back to the church. The thing that frustrates me about knowing when our provoc being provocative goes too far is it almost feels like you're 
you're apologizing or you're knocking on Jesus or like, yeah, like we're not one of those type of churches. We're not one. When you're like, that's, I think that's what Jesus was. Like, the, again, holiness. And again, I, somebody's a God. I, I get it. I have friends that totally disagree with me on a lot of things. But I'm like, I, I just don't want to. And, and uh, when I was talking to Pastor Chris on the podcast a while back, he was talking about this too with reconciliation. He's like, I don't want to answer God and say, you were too harsh with not loving your brother. Yeah. right? But it's kind of the same thing with holiness. I don't want God to be like, yeah, God, like, I know I cheapen the holiness, but you get it, right? Like, I fear God so much yeah, right. that I just can't. Again, James Brown, Facebook, I feel like if Jesus was here, I'd be like, dude, that's funny, whatever. But there are certain things where I'm like, I don't want to cheapen your holiness. I don't want to cheapen your right. sacrifice. I don't want to cheapen your atonement. I don't want to cheapen what you've done for me. And the call of God to follow him at right, all costs, right. to deny yourself and follow Jesus. Totally. I don't want to cheapen that. So I think I think for all those listening, and we could talk about this forever, but don't have time, but I think for those listening, it's a reminder for us to not, if we're in the bureaucratic stage, what do we got to do to find that synergy again? Or, or maybe we need to hand this over to somebody else who's ready to take it. Maybe we need to get on our knees and pray for somebody new. Yeah. Maybe the person's already in the church. Yep. Or maybe it's you're the problem and the pastor's been saying, I'm trying to get you to do it. Yeah. But asking yourself, where am I on this journey? And God, what should I be doing? Where should I be at? And be sensitive, not provocative, but also not bureaucratic to say, God, what are you asking me to do? You're asking right. me to build your church. Yeah. And how can I be at the top of that point yeah. to be a builder? Well, so. and the, the, the statement you just said, to build your church. Right that will keep you in the paint. That'll keep you really like in the middle and yeah. on the provocative style stuff. Yeah, yeah. If you keep it at God, this is your church. Does this honor you? And if what you're trying to do is something to get people in your crowd versus people to deny themselves and follow Jesus. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? It yeah, makes yeah. that whole debate on what's provocative or not a little simpler. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Like I, I have a real fear of God. I want to stand before God one day and hear well done. Yeah. And, and I think when, uh, Pat, you mentioned Pastor Chris earlier. One of the statements he he said, I think, is just so brilliant, simple. That's what I love about him. He says the stuff that you got. I could have thought of that, yeah. but he <laughs> yeah. said it first. But anyway, yeah. he says the lie of the devil has always been to make God less and man higher. Right. And anything that we're doing, and, and I think this is where the church world, if I can just speak broadly about even mainline denominations, where they've lost. And the, and the, the truth is, every church, every denomination that's gone kind of uh, what we would consider maybe left theologically sure. or center and away from deny yourself, right. uh, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and surrender your body to the Lordship of Christ like your whole self. Any church that has shifted that way, they're all in decline and dying. Yeah, yeah, sure. And now they're being led by bureaucrats and aristocrats totally. who are trying to preserve and punish anyone that calls that out. Like, I, I think of a denomination that, you know, they've just gone through a major split. 6,000 churches have left their denomination in the last two years. And the denomination's response is not repentance and asking questions and humble. They're charging them and suing them to leave. Right. Because we got to protect the brand. We got to keep the, the coffers full. Right. No, it's so, true. Anyway, I, I do challenge, and I'm, I'm writing a leadership talk about this too. I think, I think it's important to identify, this could be in your family. Like if all you do is just, this is what we did because we grew up this way by God. We're from Mississippi is how he's always been. <laughs> You're a bureaucratic grandpa. Sure, I mean, that's sure. It could be your family. It could be your church could be your your company yeah i think it's important to evaluate the am i and do i work for and are we questions yeah. is this the kind of organization and ask the question like where are we in the bell curve are we still taking ground and doing something for yeah. somebody totally I, I don't know about you but i can't imagine not innovating for the sake of yeah. making a difference totally totally but so many of 
in the church world, we're talking church here, so many churches have just lost that edge and said, this is just what we've always done. Yeah. Anytime I'm coaching a church and they want to grow and they want to whatever, and they say, well, we've just never done that. Yeah. I, I don't, that doesn't even compute with me. To me, that's like, oh, new ground? Yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Let's yeah. go try something new. So I think it's important on the, on the tail end of this, just evaluate where your organization is, evaluate your type of leadership. And maybe you're a barbarian in a bureaucratic role right. and you can't figure out why they're always against me. Well, you're in a bad spot because they don't yeah. want a barbarian. They want a bureaucrat. Totally. Or maybe you're a bureaucrat and you're killing the place faster. Yeah. And it would be good for you to humble yourself. Yeah. Like do some statistic statistic reports. You're the numbers guy at your church. Didn't you tell me that? Don't you do a lot of the numbers stuff? I do a lot, stuff? yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a health screening. Yeah. Look, I, I got my health, my blood drawn and did some numbers and they, they said some things about me that have required that I make some changes in my life. Yeah, yeah. Including how I eat and how I physically exercise and sleep and water intake. Yeah. So I can be a bureaucrat about that and go, I'm not changing. Right. It's the way I've always right, been. Right, totally. Or I can be barbaric about it and go, if I want to have a longer, healthier life, I can make the changes. Yeah. So you, you got to evaluate yourself in the organization. Yeah. I did have one more thing to talk about. Yeah. Is this about timed out? I think you're, yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm, we're doing a two hour marathon here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're about at the end, but. I just want to know, like, where did you get these? I've seen skinny pants. I've seen skinny shirts. <laughs> I don't know where to get skinny chairs, <laughs> but I am sweating. <laughs> this chair is so snug. I don't feel like I can move. Where did this get, do Minneapolis oh, people man. use skinny chairs? Man, I'm not even going to respond to that because <laughs> Let me just tell you this all chair something. feels great for me. I'm a full-size man. <laughs> it feels great for me. And this is a tough chair. <laughs> oh, well, I apologize about the chair, but I I'm, love it. I'm grateful for the conversation. It's and it's been very focused. <laughs> it's been a great time talking and uh, your gift to the church, your gift to us. Man, Thanks for sitting down with us talking to church today. Your friend. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks for Barbarians Bureaucrats. It was great. Peace out, everybody.